Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily from our Sunday morning gathering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. Amen. Please be seated. So we've been in Paul's letter to the church in Corinth for the last couple of weeks. Corinth is a really young town at the time in which Paul is writing, maybe 40, maybe 50 years old. There's no DuPont families, there's no Vanderbilts, there's, there's nobody who has been there and has established family wealth and family businesses. Those who came to Corinth came because they wanted to make it. It would be like probably in the 1980s if you said, I want to be successful in the financial world, and so I'm going to New York City. It was a major trading city between two bodies of water, and if you wanted to get things passed between the two bodies of water, you would have to go through Corinth. So it was a very successful town, and it was a place in which people could go, and if they were willing to work, they could make money. So, when we hear these passages of Paul trying to settle these arguments, he's trying to settle arguments between a lot of type A people. As Dr. Slade mentioned last week, that Paul is writing at a community that is at odds with one another about who their leader is. Some say, my leader is Apollos, and some say, Cephas or Peter. And Paul asks this question like, was Apollos sacrificed and killed for you? Did Cephas die for you? It doesn't matter what it, you know, you know, who your, your, your acknowledged leader is. We need to set our mind upon Christ. Because the challenge for the people who are Christians in Corinth is that you're trying to figure out how to live the Christian life in a community, in a culture which is largely pagan. Most of the folks there were people whose primary religious background would have been some sort of pagan worship. And so you can imagine how difficult it is to suddenly try to switch your worldview. Paul tries to help them remember that the Holy Spirit has provided different gifts for different people. So he says to all the type A people, guess what? You don't have to do all of it. Kind of difficult for type A people sometimes to hear that. He's trying to remind them that all gifts are needed. So he uses this image of the body. Can the eye be an ear? Can the hand do what a leg is supposed to do? All of these parts work together for the whole. And our intention is not for all of us to be the arm or the leg or the eye or the ear, but to listen and discern what gifts God has given you through the Holy Spirit. That God has appointed in the church some to be apostles, some prophets, some teachers, some to do deeds of power, some to do gifts of healing forms of assistance, leadership, and various kinds of tongues. Now, some people might be able to do adequately 
any or all of those things, and some of them may not be able to do any of them well at all. But the point is, is that we are to live out what God has given us rather than out of thinking it's our own power. This letter is oftentimes read um, at, uh, at weddings. Uh, people, you know, oh, I want that love passage from Corinthians. And if you really look at it, it's not as loving as you might think. Paul starts out this letter and he says, If I speak in the tongues of mortals and angels, but do not have love, if I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, what Paul is trying to say is, look, the church in Corinth, the leaders, the people who are the Taipei, super successful, that are living here, they speak in tongues. They have prophetic powers. They have faith. They can give away their possessions. But they're lacking something, and that is doing those things out of love. Right, he's not sitting there saying, hey, you know what, you need to go and join a five-part program on how um, to have faith or how to give your possessions away or how to be a leader. He's sitting there and he's saying, you know what, you do all of these things well because you are these like hyper, you know, successful, I'm going to go at it up at 5 a.m. reading my devotional uh, going to go do yoga for a while uh, before I really hit the day and get my emails to zero. But what he says is, is that you're great doing all of those things, but let me tell you what you're not, church. You're not patient. You're not kind. You're envious, you're boastful, you're arrogant, and you are rude, and you insist on your own way. You're irritable, you're resentful, you rejoice in other people's wrongdoing. And that's really where they slip up. Here's one of the things that we oftentimes misunderstand as a people, is that talent is not character. Some of us mistake talent for character. Oh, she is so talented, or wow, look how great he is at doing this. Sometimes one of the things we'll say about someone is if they're not really good at anything, we'll say, well, they're a nice person. As though somehow that's a last place thing to be called. Talent is not character. Paul is warning us against the exhaustion of doing and think that what we do is the thing that makes us worthy. I read a, a reflection recently um, by um, a woman who said, I hate presents. I swear I have not always been such a Grinch. I, it has not always been this way, she says. I can distinctly remember a time when I was Cindy Lou Who. This child or childish love of presence persisted for a time into my young adulthood. One time my mom bought us a whole smoked salmon to enliven our graduate school poverty and I could weep at the relief that I felt at a little extra protein in her diet. I felt that way about my first e-reader or when I received hardcover cookbooks or sometimes the plane ticket to go visit family. 
But gifts, she said, sometimes can begin to feel like an obligation, a duty, or a law, and it's no longer a gift. It becomes a source of stress and anxiety rather than joy. The author notes that when she feels the most joy from giving gifts is when she gives gifts for no reason. And yet so many of us think that our gifts are the most interesting thing about us. Boy, you should see the way that I can do fill in the blank. Now before we beat people up too badly, let us remember that we live in a society and culture that tells us that our gifts or our talents are the things that make us useful. And that if we do not have gifts or talents, well, we might as well discard you because what are you doing to add to the bottom line? When I was a kid, there was an advertisement on television for a technical trade school in which a woman would go into um, an interview and they would ask her about her skills. And then each time she would say, no, but I've got a brilliant personality. Love is not a giftedness. Love is not being good. Paul is not here saying, okay, you need to figure out how to be patient, to be kind. You have to figure out how not to be envious. Because frankly, we're not very good at doing those things. We can sometimes do them in little bits. But if we're really honest about ourselves, we oftentimes are not very patient, at least I'm not. That I, in fact, can be envious when I sit there and I uh, see um, Dodge Ram pickups showing up in my Facebook feed. And I sit there and go, man, I really need that truck. And become envious of those who have one. Because when we do that, we set ourselves up for failure. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying don't be loving. I'm not saying go around and be a jerk. Because it's so sad that when non-Christians are asked about Christians, the number one thing they say is, is, well, they're judgmental, they're mean, and they're hypocritical. Our presiding bishop, Michael Curry, likes to say, if it is not about love, it isn't about God, for God is love. And that's what Paul is trying to drive home. That God is the one who is patient. God is the one who is kind. Going to the first part of the letter, he reminds them that they have been pretty awful to one another. And Paul directs them back to the cross, the ultimate sign of love, where Jesus died for the ungodly. When they were arguing about which team they were on, team Paul, team Peter, team Apollos, this is when Paul drives his point home. Look, did any of those people die for you? No, Jesus did. And if you want to know what love looks like, it looks like sacrifice. On the cross, Jesus embodies what it means to love. As he is dying on the cross, he is saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And I can 100% guarantee you, I would not say that. If I was Jesus, I would say, Father, you better send some people down and tell them what they're doing is wrong and you better deliver me from this. I'm not going to sit there and be patient on a cross. If you read verses 4 through 7 as a prescriptive of what you need to do, you will fail each and every time 
But if you read it as descriptive of who God is and what God does, then sometimes you can be loving. Now, let's be honest. Sometimes there are days in which we seem to be better at loving than other days. Who knows? Maybe we wake up on the wrong side of the bed. Maybe we saw some bad news. But Jonathan Edwards says that happiness is putting your happiness in the other person. Happiness, Edwards says, is something like the cross in which we are willing to be sacrificial in hoping that somebody else succeeds. This is one of the challenges of a success-driven culture is that it all becomes about our success. One of my best friends growing up um, went to Harvard, and he told me that people would intentionally go into other people's rooms and change their alarm clock so that they would miss classes because there was such competition around grades. And that's what our culture produces, is we have to outdo and outshine and outperform other people, and the good news is, is that's not Christianity. God does those things. We just get to sometimes do it, and when we do it well, yay, and when we do it poorly, we are forgiven and allowed to try again. Amen.